And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. Hey, Frank, a little birdie told me you don't need a satellite dish to get DirecTV. What's little birdie? Was it Jimmy the Sparrow? It's a figure of speech. Point is, you can stream DirecTV over the internet now. Oh, sure. Next you're gonna tell me those big birds are made of metal and filled with people, right? <laughs> you mean airplanes? Stream DirecTV without a satellite dish. Visit DirecTV.com. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The presenting sponsor for today's episode of The Buffalo Beat is Visa, a network working for everyone. All right, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another post-game edition of the Buffalo Beat. My name is Joe Biscaglia, and with me to break down the game, as he is every single uh, post-game show, is Matt Bovey, the sports director over at WKBW Channel 7 in Buffalo. And we'll be here to break down the Bills. Well, kind of break down. The Bills' 40 to nothing <laughs> win over the Houston Texans. Uh, the Bills are now 3-1 and one on the season. It was a game that was never in doubt, uh, even for a second. Houston is a bad team, and bad teams stay bad. Uh, their quarterback was a mess today, um, almost to Peterman levels, to which I, I actually co- to, I compared stats uh, to, to those in, in my post-game article or my post-game observation. So we'll, we'll get into that. But I think... Um, it also leads to a bigger conversation uh, and and really ab- above all these other things, uh, we'll we'll see where what we saw today kind of points us in, in the direction of where the bills are heading moving forward. So the bills defeating the Texans 40 to nothing. Matt, when you saw the game, what was like, the first thing that that stood out to you like uh, was it the defense was it the offense was it the slow start for the offense what was the thing that that took you um that that took your attention immediately this is the question i have asked myself probably 10 times since the game ended i'm trying to figure out how good like is the bills defense elite or is houston just that bad and with most most things, I think the truth probably lies somewhere in the middle. But the Bills' defense has been so good all year, and I think that has to be the biggest takeaway for probably most people. I mean, it's their second goose egg in the last three games. It's the first time the organization has ever had two shutouts in the first four games of the season, and it ties a franchise record. It's only the third time the Bills have ever had multiple shutouts in the same season. So, like, if you look at all the numbers historically— The defense is playing lights out. I know they've played against really bad quarterbacks, but still, to put up a shutout is really hard to do in the NFL. So my biggest takeaway is just how dominant the defense has been. Yeah, it was it was one that I mean, it it was gonna be tough for them to to really screw this one up today because the Texans are just bereft of talent on on the offensive side of the ball. I mean, Brandon Cooks is their only saving grace on that side maybe Laramie Tunsil um, but they're they were going to struggle moving the ball because you know they were starting a a rookie quarterback who got picked in the third round who is really incapable of moving even though he does put some good throws on film like if if you send any amount of pressure at him he's just going to crumble and that's exactly what we saw um, with with him in the pocket against the Bills today. We saw it last week against the Panthers, if you go back and look at that film. And their run game is just a freaking mess. I mean, they've got <laughs> Philip, Philip Lindsay, who um, is probably tries to bounce way too much stuff outside. He went for negative one yards today. Um, Mark Ingram still kicking around. David Johnson somehow still kicking around. Rex Burkhead, a random <laughs> guy on their roster. Um, and so their running game was not great. Their offensive line is one of the worst in the league. Uh, their receivers and tight ends outside of Brandon cooks is bad. So it was, it was an open and shut case for the bills defense. They needed to to dominate this game and they did. And the impressive part of it for me was that they did it basically with three backups the, the entire way. 
Jaquan Johnson started in place of Jordan Poyer, who was out with an ankle injury. Uh, Cam Lewis, the practice squad call-up, started in place of Taron Johnson, um, who had to sit out this game with a groin injury. And then the Bills lost Matt Milano in the in the second quarter once uh, he went down with a hamstring injury and didn't have him the rest of the way. So they had A.J. Klein in there. So all of these different things, that was the more impressive part of it. But even still... Um, Putting that type of effort together in a game that they should have dominated and even against the wall of, um, you know, some early turnovers by the Bills offense and then putting together some turnovers of their own. They they checked every box today. So there's really nothing, um, nothing bad you can say about it. But what you what you mentioned is something that I have been thinking about. And I, I won't lie, like the last two weeks, I'm thinking, okay. Are, you know, the Bills defense has been playing lights out over the last several weeks. But when you look at their opponents, it's it mm-hmm. really makes you wonder what are they? Like I don't I don't know that I can definitively tell you what this defense is. I know they have talent at certain positions. Their safeties are really good. Tredavious White is really good. Uh their linebackers when healthy are really good, but I can't sit here and tell you after them going up against the Steelers, who I believe are now one and three at at, at this moment, yep. um, and Washington and Taylor Heineke, who is not he's a replacement level quarterback. They went up basically against Jacoby Brissett for the entirety of the game, who was taking backup snaps the entire week of practice leading up to the game, and then Davis Mills, who basically was. A, a close to a reincarnate of Nathan Peterman today. So when you <laughs> when you look at those four things and those four opponents, you're like, okay, well they've played three really crappy offensive lines and one like average to a slightly above average offensive line. And my biggest thing is I still have no idea if this pass rush is any good. And that is the biggest thing heading into a game against Kansas City. Because that was their focal, the Bills' focal point the entire offseason. Like, what are you going to be um, against this Chiefs game where you have to impact the passer? Otherwise, Patrick Mahomes, Tyreek Hill, Travis Kelsey are just going to pick you apart. And that's what they did in the AFC Championship game last year. It's why Brandon Bean focused so much attention to it. I have no clue if this pass rush is good. And, I, and I'm not sure anyone can sit here and tell you, yeah, this pass rush is good because X, X, X Y, and Z. I, I, I mean, watching the film, <laughs> you, you see it, but I, I honestly, I, this, this coming week against the Chiefs is going to be the first time where I can have a definitive opinion on what the pass rush has been through, the, through their early season. I just wish we had some sort of game to go off of that wasn't against just like a really below average or terrible quarterback because they are going from one extreme to literally the best quarterback in the NFL. Or Mm -hmm. if you're somebody who doesn't think maybe the second best quarterback in the NFL, whatever you think, Patrick Mahomes is about as good as it gets. And my goodness, are we going to find out a lot about this team Next week, at this time next week, you know, Monday morning, we'll be talking about, okay, the Bills are absolutely legit, or nope, there's still, you know, room that they, you know, there's still a gap between basically Kansas City and the Bills, and it's very true, like, the defense has been great, but they've also been great in games that they're supposed to be great, so I do think that the defense as a unit is better than they were last year, the sample size is small, and once again, I'm just kind of basing that off of... You know, assuming that this translates to a team that's good. Now, it's not going to translate. You know, like, they're not going to shut out Kansas City, obviously. You know, they're not going to get six sacks against Kansas City like they did against Miami. But the question is, can you hold Kansas City to 28 points? And can your quarterback go win a game? Because that's what you paid him to do. Can you hold the other high-powered offenses in the NFL to... 23 points, 21 points, because you should be able to win those games. So I think that's ultimately where it is. You know, if next week we're talking about a Bills defense that gives up 30 points, they could still have a nice day, all things considered. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a lot different. You know, holding Kansas City to like 24 points 
is probably a bigger accomplishment than shutting out Houston, quite frankly. So, oh, yeah. You know what I mean? So, like, yeah. that's what we need to see next week. We need to be able to see what they can do against a legit opponent because the last time we saw these two teams play, after the first quarter, Kansas City moved the ball at will. The Bills couldn't do anything to stop them. No, I I totally agree. Um, and, and especially with Tyreek Hill just popping off for 11 catchers, 186 yards, and three touchdowns against the Eagles. Who? Yeah, that's scary. Pre- who previously had been a pretty good pass defense against wide receivers. Yeah, he uh, he went off, and, and he is someone that completely dominated that matchup in the AFC Championship game. So I, I think I'm with you that the defense is better than they were last year, but this is also a defense that played pretty well in the second half of the season. It was the first half where it's like, okay, what's going on here? A lot of it, they had a lot of injury concerns, but... Those in that injury stuff is starting to creep up here um, once again mm-hmm. for them. And now, uh, depending on what's going to happen with Matt Milano, that's a potentially humongous loss heading into uh, an upcoming showdown with a team that has had their number to a grand degree the last three times they, they have played one another. Um, so without Milano in there, I mean, keep in mind, the Chiefs tore up the Bills, even with Milano in the lineup um, last year in the AFC Championship game. So without Milano, having A.J. Klein in there and and having that downgrade in pass coverage, that's a potentially pretty scary thing for the Bills. Um, but I do think, you know, not to get all doom and gloom there, because Milano has, in his past, um, fought through a hamstring injury to play. Uh, so... You know, there there could be some some potential optimism there. We'll have to see if he's able to actually get out and practice on Wednesday, um, at the very latest Thursday. And if he's not practicing by Thursday, it, it might not uh, it might not mm-hmm. happen. But but yeah, that's that's a potentially huge thing. Is Jordan Poyer going to be ready? I probably think he will, but you have no way of knowing. We didn't see him at practice at all this week. Uh, Taron Johnson, same sort of deal. They shut him down on Thursday and Friday after suffering a groin injury at practice on Wednesday. So those are three humongous assets to their coverage. And they're going up against the court, the best quarterback in the league that can pick apart your your coverage even when you have all those players. So yeah, I, I don't know. I don't know what to think about this defense. I want to think that the pass rush is better than it was last year. But they Really didn't generate much pressure last week against Taylor Heineke. Um, and Heineke had 3.2 seconds uh, on average uh, to throw uh, it, against the Bills last week. I don't know what Davis Mills' number was, but certainly it was not at a Ben Roethlisberger level. And the Bills did come away with some sacks and, and they took advantage of a weak offensive line. But yeah, I, it is a to be determined, and I don't know how many different ways we can say it. And we've kind of went astray from uh, breaking down the game in it in itself no. because this is I I don't even think people cared about today's game. If I'm honest, like I you know we looked at the Texans matchup and and people people were like, oh well, it doesn't really matter. Just wait mm-hmm. until Kansas City. Everyone had that in mind. And everyone had Kansas City on the mind in this game, just as long as they took care of business. They won forty to nothing, and I think the only thing people are thinking about probably are is the fact that they're playing the Kansas City Chiefs up next. So everything that they've done to this point, all roads lead to Kansas City here. And uh, yeah, it's 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 we've always we always get one of these podcasts every year where it's like a broader <laughs> thing rather than just a one game thing, and this certainly fits the bill. Couple thoughts. Based off of everything that you just said. Matt Milano, let's start there. I would argue that Matt Milano is the second most important player on the defense. And the only person I would put ahead of him is Tredavious White. And I would even listen to the argument that maybe he's more important than Tredavious White. My other thing with Matt Milano, and once again, this is just an assumption. It's not even an assumption. It's just an observation. Perhaps... They are being overly cautious by not putting him back into the game today, realizing it was a game against the Houston Texans. Now, the fact that he was listed as doubtful right away is concerning because it didn't even look like there was, you know, that basically said he wasn't coming back, but maybe they were just being overcautious. As for Jordan Poyer and Taron Johnson, 
Also, really important pieces. We've talked about how great Taron Johnson has been this year, and we've talked a lot about how dynamic the Bills' safeties are. Listen, Cam Lewis and Jaquan Johnson both did a very good job today, but they did a very good job against Davis Mills and a bunch of other slappies that were out there for the Texans. So I do not want to see what they can do against the Kansas City Chiefs unless they absolutely need to because the Bills defense would be in a better spot with their normal starters. And yes, 100%, like this is just such a crucial game. And it's funny because earlier in the week, we heard Josh Allen say that he didn't know who the Bills were playing next come on he knew he's saying he's doing the politically correct thing i get it i understand you know you're focused on one game at a time totally understood that you know trap games i do think are a thing i think we probably overblow them but you know you could have looked past houston but you know come on everybody's just thinking about kansas city from the minute that this game got to like 19 nothing. I think everybody was probably already done with this game. It was like, okay, Saturday Night Football, AFC Championship rematch. Let's see if the Bills are legit. And Bills fans were probably creeping and looking at the Chiefs and Eagles score. And for a little while, it was close. So they were like, eh, I don't know. And that's the other thing too. Like, uh, you know, Kansas City's defense has really struggled this year. So I want to see if the Bills can put up points against them because they should be able to. But ultimately, the Bills defense needs to make a couple stops. You know, it it would be ridiculous to think like you're going to completely shut down Kansas City. That's not going to happen. But you need to make timely stops and they need to be able to get pressure on Patrick Mahomes. And I think they're in a better position to do that now than they were when they last played. But like you said... We don't really know that for sure because the Bills really haven't been tested. You know, it's I think the Bills are a very good team, but it's funny. This week I heard a lot of people talk about like the Denver Broncos and say like, well, who have they played? Well, who have the Bills played? Because the only team that they've played that's, I don't even want to say decent. Like I think if the Bills played the Steelers next week, the Bills would win by like 20, but they lost to Pittsburgh. And in the other three games, like they better have won those games. So... Yeah, it's it's tricky because we still really don't know how good the Bills are because they really haven't been tested. I think if the Bills played the Steelers like three hours after they played the Steelers, they would have won. I, and yeah. I still and I still believe that the Bills uh, should have won that that opening week game and to be four zero on the season. But they the offense could couldn't get out of their own way. I mean, your the way you put it is correct. Like they just need the defense that is. They just need to get in the way a, a few times. Uh-huh. And if they do that and and they say, okay, let's say the Chiefs score 27, 28 points. That's a win because mm-hmm. this Bills offense is capable of uh, putting up 30-plus points. And if, if you're capable weekly to put up 30-plus points, you're going to be in position to win a lot of games. Now, the, the, the big determining factor there is – Will the offense actually show up? And that's something we'll we'll get into in the second half of this podcast. But quickly on on Davis Mills because it was a running joke between uh, well during the games I sit next to Tim Graham um, who is very funny and <laughs> the entire game uh, you know Davis Mills was was just horrendous. Like I mentioned the uh, the name of Nathan Peterman. Like the stats were bad before the Bills put their backups in. Uh, Davis Mills was averaging, I believe, let me, let me get it for sure here. Davis Mills was averaging one moment, please. 2.5 yards per attempt and in uh, 30 total passing yards and 1.4 yards per play, uh, up until, up until oh. the backup defenders came in the game. Oh. Like it, it, it was, it was horrific. And if you look at the numbers, Davis Mills, 87 total passing yards. This was all all encompassing, backups included. Uh, 87 total yards over 21 pass attempts, four interceptions, a 4.1 yards per attempt average, and a quarterback rating of 23.4. Nathan Peterman against the Chargers, 66 yards over 14 pass attempts, five interceptions, 4.7 yards per attempt and a quarterback rating of 17.9. And you want to know the best part about this stat, Matt? Yes, I do. There, there is a common link between those two performances, and that man is David Culley. 
who was the Bills yeah. quarterback coach in 2018 and the head coach of the Houston GD Texans. So kudos to David Culley for uh, for for overseeing two of the worst quarterback performances you'll ever see. There's one other little nugget in there. You know what I'm thinking? I, I can't wait to find out. Tyrod Taylor on the sideline. Yeah, true. <laughs> Very true. Uh, Under different contexts, though. uh, Very different context. Very different context. You know, the Bills wouldn't have won 40 to nothing if Tyrod, or excuse me, Tyrod Taylor was in the game today. Yeah, how dare you? I know. That's on me. It's somebody who we've covered for a long time. I should know how to say his name. Shame on me. He didn't correct us when he was in Buffalo. No, it wasn't. I don't even think until he got to Los Angeles. I don't even think he corrected anybody in Cleveland. But no, I could be. I don't think so either. I could be wrong there. Yeah, no, it was terrible. Like I, I honestly kind of felt bad for Davis Mills. Like I just, it was a mess. Like he was kind of just hung out to dry. And I don't know if you saw the reports um, out there this week in Houston, but I saw one thing that they were going to, you know, open up the offense for Davis Mills. Like, what would it have been if they didn't open up the offense? What would we have been talking about? It felt like clockwork every single time. It was the same thing. It was like handoff to one of the running backs who isn't very good, one yard gain. Then it was like handoff to another one of the running backs that isn't very good, two yard gain. And then it was third and seven, and they threw it like three yards. And it was either an incomplete pass or they were just stopped right at the line. I mean, it was. It was uh, about as bad of a quarterback performance and about as, and not even just quarterback, about as bad of an offensive performance as I have ever seen. And as somebody who was born and raised in Western York, that says a lot because I've seen some pretty bad offensive performances over these years. It was, I mean, it wasn't quite the beautiful disaster that the Peterman uh, performance was in LA because that one just had a certain feel to it because, oh, yeah. We, because um, the game was played. Uh, before uh, they started playing in SoFi Stadium, so they were playing in a converted uh, soccer stadium, <laughs> the StubHub Center. It, it was it was a very tiny press box, open air press box. It was a very gorgeous campus. Don't get me wrong, uh, but man, and just watching play after play and five interceptions on fourteen pass attempts, it was it was just magnificent to watch in person. And you know, yeah, not great. For for Peterman because he's he always has to live with with that performance. But man, it was that was one regular season game I will quite literally never forget being there in person and watching it unfold and just like jaw agape, going, "What is happening right now?" When I but, when I, when I woke it. up today, I did not think we were going to be talking about Nathan Peterman as much as we did. But maybe shame on me for not thinking that way. Because maybe we should have saw this coming. Yeah, yeah, certainly. And I, I forgot. I lost my train of thought as I was bringing up the Peterman stats. But uh, while I was watching the game next to uh, your friend of mine, Tim Graham, um, you know, we were exchanged like funny little, funny little uh, lines every every once in a while. And I I said to him, I'm like. I wonder if Davis. I hope Davis Mills has an alter ego that's just the complete opposite and, and opposite. And you know, he, we're we're gonna see Mavis Dills come out. And he's just gonna <laughs> guns blazing. I wanted so badly oh, to see good. Mavis Dills come out, but uh, yeah, there that, that Mavis Dills is nowhere to be found. All we had was Davis Mills, and uh, yeah, it was it was uh, not great for for the Texans then uh, they've got at least another week of of Davis Mills not Mavis Dills so um yeah poor poor uh not 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 great for them that's for sure yeah that is certainly it was uh it was a beautiful disaster is what we watched today so credit <laughs> credit to the Bills defense for you know just wreaking havoc but at the same time like they did what they were supposed to do Davis Mills, 11 of 21 for 87 yards that basically all came in garbage time and not one, not two. I feel like LeBron, not one, not two, not three, but four interceptions. Yikes. Yeah, but to Davis Mills' credit. Oh, no. Oh, two of those interceptions came in garbage time. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. So, so he only had two interceptions when the first team defense well, it's still out there. Anyway, no, there's there's nothing to write home about with Davis Mills' performance today. But he should he should talk to me about Mavis Dills. 
and and bring Mavis Dills to their to their next game. You know, that's, there's that's what I'm thinking. There's gonna be like a stag party one day, or like some sort of like charity auction, and a Davis Mills signed jersey is gonna pop up, and you know that like some <laughs> Texans fan is going to be like, yes. I need that on my wall forever, uh-huh. just like a Peterman jersey for the Bills. Well, it's like the perfect thing. It, it like it's the perfect way of like summing up like this season for the Houston Texans or what oh, yeah. we expect this season to be. You know, in like six years, like five Texans fans are going to be sitting in an Applebee's throwing back half apps, and they're going to be like, "Remember that Davis Mills game?" And they're going to be like, "Oh my gosh, yes!" Well, just like Bills fans do with Peterman. Yep. Oh yeah, it. Uh, I don't. I don't know if it was quite like it didn't feel like it was as bad as Peterman because that was just like it had all this hope and optimism going into the game and it just completely blew up. But yeah, the the stats were were pretty eerily similar uh, between the two showings. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with twenty four seven U.S. based live customer service from Discover. Everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. All right, let's go to the offensive side of the ball because, uh, <laughs> you know, that's that's one area that, uh, the you know, there was some a unique characteristic to the game. Uh, mm-hmm. And it, it was something that, you know... After watching the film on Tuesday and seeing how much both Cody Ford and Daryl Williams struggled against Washington, and certainly the week before that as well, it it made you think, okay, are the Bills going to do something here? And, you know, going back and looking at the Bills' history under Sean McDermott, before this season, the Bills have made an early season change along their offensive line um, in three out of their four seasons. The first year, they benched John Miller after four games. Um, Then in 2018, they benched Ryan Groy, who was just a horrendous starting center. And then last year, they benched Quinton Spain after two games. And the Groy uh, benching was after two games as well. So they they have a history of not waiting around on their offensive line to round into form. So you... It got the it got the mind going a little bit. Like, okay, could they try some new stuff out? Because Spencer Brown, very very small sample size, looked great in eight snaps uh, against Washington. Looked great against the Chicago Bears at right tackle in preseason. But again, that's preseason. Um, but you know, he he's someone that caught your eye uh, on film, and you just had to wonder like how long until they gave the rookie a chance because they drafted him early early ish um and you know he could be a potential answer at a spot where they're weak at the moment now I don't know if if I expected them to bench Cody Ford this week after watching the film but kudos to them for for making a call and sticking with it but 
among uh, above all else, uh, with Spencer Brown actually starting at right tackle and sliding Daryl Williams into right guard, what was most damning for Cody Ford in this game was the fact that he wasn't even the sixth best offensive lineman. They started Ike Butker at left guard for the injured John Feliciano, and Cody Ford was on the bench. So that really says a lot about where Cody Ford is right now. And I know Sean McDermott, after the game, said, like, you know, we still believe in Cody and and all of this, but actions speak louder than words. And you literally changed three pieces of your offensive line, and he wasn't a starting starting player among them. So, So, yeah, that it was a... It was a big day uh, in terms of how they're going to approach the rest of the season, and um, and and yeah, it it, it definitely um, has put a major, significant negative on Cody Ford's playing career here and his future outlook in Buffalo. Yeah, I tend to agree, and Sean McCormick has to say that because who knows what's going to happen down the line if there's going to be more injuries and they need Cody Ford to step in because you can't like you know completely make it obvious. You know, it's obvious by them sitting him, but he does have to you know save face and say that they still have all the confidence in the world in Cody Ford, even though you know the proof is in the pudding that they don't. My question is. What do they do? What what do you think they do moving forward? Assuming, and once again, I don't want to assume anything. We're not doctors here, but that John Feliciano is ready to go back in the lineup because you know it's once it's a small sample size. But I didn't have any moments today when I thought Spencer Brown just completely got torched. And you know, not to look ahead, we'll talk about this later in the podcast probably with the got to watch the tape stuff because the offensive line is tricky, but. You know, I thought he held his own. I thought there were weaker links on the offensive line, at least from first glance. So I'm curious what they're going to do moving forward, because if he's one of their best five, then chances are he's going to be on the field in some capacity. Yeah, I think uh, from what I saw from Spencer Brown, I saw someone who was uh, powerful, um, quick, uh, quick-footed, uh, someone that stayed in front of his assignment most times. And like you pointed out, like it was, you can't really have a true gauge because the film is ob- obviously has to come into play here. But, uh, you know, I saw someone that it did not look like the moment was too big for him. But in his favor, the Texans have some of the worst pass rushers in, in the league mm-hmm. um, in, in terms of a collective unit. Like they're, can you name one right now? Uh, Merciless? Oh, he's there, but he's a backup. The... Uh, their starters are... Let me let me get my notes. Their starters are Jonathan Greenard, who I believe was a third-round pick? Maybe even that's a second-round pick. That's not a real person. No, it, he, was, he was like <laughs> a second-round pick. Uh, Jacob Martin, um, who, is, uh, who is their starting left defensive end. Uh, Demarcus Walker and Charles Omenehu. So, uh, and Omenehu is not bad actually, but, but yeah, not, not really great pass rushers. So he should have looked good in that game. And it was an opportunity where they put him in, uh, in a chance to succeed in, in that role for them. So what do they do going, going forward? I don't think anything changes. I think Spencer Brown's a starting right tackle. Um, I think Daryl Williams is the starting right guard next week. I think John Feliciano, as long as he's healthy, will be the starting left guard. And, you know, I think that's going to be their starting five for the foreseeable future with barring any injuries. Um, The only one I think that could change um, might be Daryl Williams. I don't know. He has not been impressive this year. And he allowed some, he had some pretty bad reps against the Texans as well. Because the Texans, even though they're void of talent in most places, they have a really good interior defensive tackle named Malik Collins, and he was pretty good today. Uh, and he he's usually usually put some good reps on film, and I think he got the better of Darrell Williams a few times. But still, you got to win those matchups. You're you're getting paid a lot of money to be a starting offensive lineman in in, uh, in this system. So 
again, like Spencer Brown, want to see what he actually did uh, in a full game perspective rather than just bits and pieces, flashes here and there, because I would be lying to you if I said I watched him the entire game. Mm-hmm. But saw some uh, saw some signs that weren't so promising in the middle, and I'm interested to see if if that was uh, if it was like that for the majority of the game. I also want to see, similar to what we were talking about with the defense, I want to see how he would do against a more formidable opponent, which, you know, we won't have to wait long to try and figure out if that's going to be the case. And concussions are weird with Feliciano. Like, you know, sometimes concussions are a weak thing. Sometimes they extend into multiple weeks. You know, I did see him on the sideline. I saw him walking off the field after the game today. So I know that he's been around, you know, so, you know, that's at least a promising sign. I think as a unit, they did fine today. But once again, you know, we didn't even, or I don't want to speak for you. I didn't even know who the defensive ends on this team were and who was trying to rush the passer because (laughs) that's just the level of, you know, roster they have right now. So I don't want to really buy into too much of what we saw from the offensive line. But yeah, you know, like it's it's kind of just still too small of a sample size to make like a really good assessment about them as a unit, especially like this unit. Yeah, I yeah, I mean, the Chiefs have a pretty good defensive line. So and Chris Jones has been known to completely wreck their game plans before. Uh-huh. So they're they're going to have their work cut out for them next week. But this was a, a good, solid base for the offensive line. They they were run blocking really well, um, as they should have. They pass blocked. They gave uh, they gave Josh Allen ample time back there, and and the the offense was able to get it going from that perspective. Um, the passing offense I thought was really good today. Uh, you know they they had a slow start in the first half and you know got their stuff together with some shortened fields and things like that. Wasn't their best day, but certainly nothing quite like, you know, the Pittsburgh level or the Miami level yeah. to where where it has you wondering, okay, what's going on here? The most important piece to their passing offense was the fact that um the fact that Stefan Diggs had his breakout game and got over 100 yards, uh caught a high percentage of his targets. Did not start off well, but uh, as soon as uh Allen hit that hit that deep pass, just the throw on the money, right, right in coverage to Stefan Diggs. You're like, okay, they're, they're starting to get things going here. And and that's a very positive thing for them moving forward, especially when they're going to have to go toe to toe with an offense like the Chiefs. So getting Diggs going and not to say that he wasn't going in the first three games, mm-hmm. but just that, you know, that presence of mind and that, that safety net of saying, okay, Diggs has had himself a day. It wasn't, a humongous day, but it was still, you know, most teams would look yeah. at his performance and be like, oh, wow, that's a major day. But for the Bills passing offense, because they were awesome last year, like, oh, that's pretty good. Yeah. It's, it's the, the level of expectation is a bit different here. Yeah, I think that he had a really strong game. I think that the first, you know, big play was the one where Josh got out of the pocket and threw it on the sideline in digs, you know, made the catch. I think it was like a 28-yard gain or something like that. I don't even know if he got both of his feet down. That's why they rushed up to the offensive line so quick and, you know, got the ball off. I think they had like a... Uh, they got sacked on the next play, but obviously it was such a big chunk play. And then I don't even know, Joe, if some of the people who are listening to this got to see the digs catch because the power went out and then the broadcast truck, I guess, was having some sort of issues. So from what I saw on social media, there was only like one camera angle of the game for a little while. And then the CBS people in the studio were calling the game because the actual announcers there didn't have, you know, like power to be able to do that. But yeah, no, it was just a beautiful pass from Josh Allen right down the sideline put it over Diggs shoulder Diggs made a really tough catch that you know he always seems to make and then later in the game it was closer to the red zone Allen just dropped another perfect pass right into a bucket for Diggs to make the catch and he took a big hit and he got up and he was flexing he was all pumped up but yeah this was far and away his best game and as far as Josh Allen is concerned yeah he starts with the interception the first couple passes he threw he just flat out sailed they weren't good throws I don't know exactly how much of that is you know weather wet ball drill yeah hashtag wet ball drill i'm i'm assuming it's weather related quite frankly um because it's not a coincidence that 
the first couple times the Bills had the ball, it was a monsoon, and they really couldn't move the ball. And then for about 20 minutes, it stopped, and then the Bills went down the field and scored. And then all of a sudden looked like, you know, the offense we've kind of come to expect. So I do not think it was a tremendous game from Josh Allen, but by no stretch was it a bad game. You know, I would say it was like a B, and that's okay, especially considering, you know, their weather was shaky. This is an opponent that, you know, they really kind of had handed, you know, they they were going to win this game. He didn't have to try and do too much. So, yeah, I, I think his day was totally fine. Yeah, I I, I tend to agree. Um, it could have really, yeah, you know what, I, I kind of wonder. Because it could have been a lot worse if the Texans had any semblance of offense and, and put pressure on the on the bills to put some drives together uh, i kind of wonder you know just looking taking it the um the recency out of the game and going to watch it how it will look um from a film perspective but i think i like you i thought he turned it around in the second half and by the way this dig showing um it was coming i mean he was 15th in the league in uh target percentage uh and he was, I believe, third in the league in air yards um, heading into week four. So the opportunity has always been there with Stefan Diggs. It's just they haven't gotten on the same page. But finally, that uh, that popped for them. And that's why they were uh, able to get things together to the point in which the, the passing offense was, you know, pretty good. And... Two touchdowns, 248 yards, 20, 20 of 29 passing, all, all good things. Um, and they were able to get it going from that perspective. You're being right, humble. Well, You're being humble because you called out the Diggs breakout game several times this several times this week. And you were yeah. right. So good call there. And, you know, also Emmanuel Sanders had a nice day. And that's kind of the status quo. Like, they really trust Emmanuel Sanders. He had five receptions for 74 yards. He had a couple nice catches that he made. Once again, Gabriel Davis, one target, no receptions. I do not think that's a knock on Gabe Davis. I just think that they very clearly now have their, you know, their three wide receivers that they're going to use in pretty much their their base offense. Yeah, well, it was interesting because Dable actually broke tendency today. Um, I'm glad you said that because because there was he he added a a pretty legitimately large new wrinkle to what he had been doing in the past three weeks. I think part of it was. Um, opponent induced because the Texans were that were without one of their best linebackers and Zach Cunningham. And so they knew that their depth at linebacker was going to be tested. So Dable, um, before the backups came in on the, the 64 plays with the, with the starting the Bills starting offense, the bills ran a two tight end set on 16 of those 64 plays, which was 25%, which was by and large, the highest amount of two tight end looks that they have run all season long. And the results were great on those, uh, on those plays. They gained 106 yards, 6.5 yards per play. It was a really nice, nice step and a, and a good wrinkle by Dable. They were able to run the ball on it. Well, and mm-hmm. they, they kept, uh, they kept the Texans guessing from those formations because they were able to run some play action, uh, they were able to pass the ball down the field. Uh, I believe Stefan Diggs' big play, the 37-yard, was out of a two-tight end set. Um, I'll double-check on that as well. But that's just another factor of why Brian Dable um, is as successful as he is because he adds these little things based on matchup, and you don't really know exactly what he's going to do from one week to the next. But, but yeah, that was, that was one thing he attacked, and, and they did it really well. Yeah, and I thought, you know, as kind of an offshoot of that, like they ran the ball fairly well today too. It was not, you know, something that I think was super imperative in this game. You know, once the weather stopped being terrible and it was just okay, like it wasn't like they weren't going to be able to throw the ball. But, you know, I thought they did a nice job on the ground today. I think Zach Moss has put together a string of a couple nice games. And then at the end of the game, it was Devin Singletary. So, yeah, I think they did okay. And like you said, I think as the offense as a whole, it was a perfectly good game. Wasn't great. Mm -hmm. Wasn't bad. I think it was just, it was a good game for them. And, uh, you know, I think they have the capabilities still of 
really, you know, exploding like we saw last week. I, I was slightly incorrect. Um, it was not the the big digs play in the second half, but they were in two tight end uh, on the play where Allen like evaded a bunch of different players in the backfield and found digs for a 31 yard gain. Um, there were two tight ends on yeah. that play. And then there was another 16-yard gain for, for Stefan Diggs uh, out of a two-tight end set. So uh, 47 yards of, of receiving on those two plays um, when, when they were in that formation, which is pretty good. Um, Very good. Yeah, from that perspective. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. Okay, let's get into the awards. Uh, Let's first go to the land of the negative and start off with the Dree Archer Award for the player that did not show up today. Bobe, who you got? Um, is it too obvious to go with Cody Ford? No, not absolutely not. I, I would say Cody Ford just because of what you said earlier. The fact that he was their sixth option on a day when they had, you know, an injury take out a starter is concerning for, you know, him and, you know, his future basically with the Buffalo Bills. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 100%. I no arguments there. I'm going to go with Isaiah McKenzie. Um, mm-hmm. And this is something that I wrote about in my post-game observations. McKenzie has seen, from what he was last year to their offense, he has seen his role uh, diminish by quite a bit. In the first three weeks, uh, he he got anywhere from 18 to 20% of offensive snaps. Now, before the backups came entered into the game, um, for for the Bills offense. Isaiah McKenzie, out of 64 snaps, had only three. Three snaps for a, a snap percentage of 4.69, I believe. So his role is kind of going to the wayside here. And when you have that, um, and, you know, you can argue like, okay, well, they're in two tight end sets a lot more often this game. Sure, absolutely. But he's still s- supposed to be more, get, a, get more run than Jake Kumaro. And Kumaro had five snaps to McKenzie's three in those 64 plays, by the way. So that's, that just goes to show you, okay, what's going on here? Kind of raise your eyebrows a little bit because the other factor to this is something that we talked about last week on the postgame pod. Marquez Stevenson is Mm -hmm. looming. He has been working to the side with the strength and conditioning staff pretty vigorously over the last three weeks now. And Sean McDermott uh, was very tight-lipped about it uh, during uh, on Wednesday when he was asked about it. You know, when I asked him about it, basically, basically just shut it down immediately. Like, no, he's not practicing today. No, stop asking about it. Um, So with Marquez Stevenson potentially possibly available they can they can activate him whenever they want they can start his practice his three-week practice window whenever they want when he's on injured reserve so if they do that they basically just prove that they don't need isaiah mckenzie in this offense he had three snaps for for the offense against tech against the texans and the game wasn't absolutely in peril at any point but it still goes to show that they can they can get by without him, and they still have four good wide receivers, five good wide receivers that that they can use um, ahead of him. So if they feel like they can get more in the return game out of Marquez Stevenson, I could absolutely see a world where they activate Marquez Stevenson and make Isaiah McKenzie a game day inactive. And I would not be shocked if that happens before the end of the season. Unless it's the ultimate slow play and they are doing it so later in the season they can showcase him more and they don't have him on tape and people maybe forget about him. But I tend to agree. I think it is what you were talking about. I just think that they want to be using Stefan Diggs, Emmanuel Sanders, Cole Beasley, Dawson Knox, and sprinkle in a little bit of Gabe Davis and sprinkle in a little bit of Jake Kumaro. It just it feels like that's the way that all signs are pointing with 
with what they've done for the first, you know, four games, really. It's not like he's gotten a ton of play in any of the games. It's not just the one game. It's the four games. So you're looking at basically a fourth of the season with Isaiah McKenzie almost barely used. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. All right, let's go to the Vontae Davis Award for the player that didn't show up in the second half. Beauvais, who you got? Matt Milano, because he didn't show up in the second half. (laughs) (laughs) I love how you take, like, the the very... (laughs) <laughs> ones, but it's it, it's absolutely fair um yeah he he did not play in the second half whatsoever i am going to go with devin singletary um because even though he put up some yards um at the end of the game when the backups were in he also fumbled the ball for mm-hmm. the fourth time in four games this season and you know miraculously he has not lost a single one as soon as Devin Singletary fumbled the ball, the Bills benched him uh, for as long as the starters were in the game. It was 12 snaps total. Um, they benched him for the rest of that series and the next two offensive series in favor of Zach Moss. Now, the the splits kind of came back at, after once they, they brought the backups in. But uh, when you look at the splits um, pre-backup, it was uh, 38 for 38 snaps for Zach Moss and a uh, snap percentage of 59.4% and 26 snaps for Devin Singletary with a snap percentage of 40.6%. So uh, Moss took a bit of a lead because Singletary fumbled. So I'll go with Devin Singletary. It's funny because in this instance, this it's almost like a role reversal. Like he showed up more in the second half because they wanted him out there with the backups, which yeah. tell which tells the story. It's almost kind of like a weird like juxtaposition thing, but it's absolutely true. At the end of the game, there was a reason Devin Singletary was getting the the carries and not Zach Moss. All right, uh, how about the gotta watch the tape award? Um, the the award where you know you need like need a little bit of an extra look to make sure what the heck happened there. Mine will be Spencer Brown, kind of like I alluded to earlier. I just think that I want to see how he did in his first career start and if he is a viable option moving forward. Because like you said, I tend to think that moving forward, we could see a Dawkins, Feliciano, Morse, Williams, Spencer Brown line if they truly believe that those are their best five options. And, you know, it's not like Spencer Brown has the position flexibility like some of the other people have. So I think if he's going to be on the field, he's going to be playing tackle um so yeah i want to see how he did and see you know what he needs to improve on because you know he's a rookie he's gonna have things that he needs to get better at but he does have the frame he does have the physicality and you know he seemed to hold down the fort pretty well in his first start Mm -hmm. i gotta watch the tape on boogie basham it was his first career game uh and he had let's see exactly by my count he had 20 total snaps a lot okay. of them came in came in garbage time. Before garbage time began, he had a total of ten snaps. Okay. Um, out of not that many, out of like thirty four. <laughs> so mm-hmm. It's like <laughs> the Texans ran such a small amount of play before <laughs> garbage time. It was it was actually impressive. Um, but yeah, Boogie Basham, he had the sack. I think that was kind of a product of coverage because Davis Mills had the ball for a long time, but still he deserves credit for being able to finish on the play. Um, other snaps, it seemed like he was a little slow off the snap. Uh, couldn't really get off his one-on-one blocks. But again, got to watch the gotta watch the tape to see if that's the what it looked like over the entirety of his 20 snaps. So Bookie Basham for that one. All right, next up is the uh, Matt Barkley Award for the player that caught you by surprise today. Bobe. I am going to go with Cam Lewis. I thought he had a nice game. I thought filling in for, you know, Taron Johnson, I didn't exactly know what the Bills were going to do. We briefly talked about this, I believe, a week ago or two weeks ago, and how when Cam Lewis got hurt, he ultimately had taken over that job, at least for a week, when Taron Johnson, you know, was sat last year. Taron Johnson has been lights out. I think that is his job moving forward. But I think Cam Lewis had a really nice day today, all things considered. Yeah, uh, no, no arguments there. Um, I kind of want to go ridiculous. Go ridiculous. Eh, go eh. ridiculous. Uh, pleasantly surprised. No, I'll, I'll, I'll go more, more obvious. I'll go with uh, Jaquan Johnson. Uh, okay. He just because I've been talking about this guy a lot over the last three years, 
Um, and this was the first. They they have been internally optimistic about Jaquan Johnson and his potential for a long time now. Um, really since the Bills Panthers joint practices, uh, and because he really popped uh, in those in that setting, and then kind of carried it over to the preseason games. Uh, he was someone that they've they've always kind of had kept a close eye on, even though he was a late round pick, and he's kept developing. Has never really had a game for that a, a meaningful game for them to judge where he is at this point in, in his career. And I thought he absolutely smashed it um, in in his first uh, actual meaningful start for the Bills. And again, against the Texans, but he looked instinctive. Looked like he 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 was in on a bunch of plays. Um, he was there where he needed to be. Uh, had a, a nice highlight reel interception. So yeah, we're going we're going Jaquan Johnson for that. I like it. It would have been it was for me. It was him or Cam Lewis, and I think they both had strong days considering you know big shoes to fill. And I think they both did a really good job. And finally, the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for perseverance. Matt Bove, who wins those honors today. Uh, you know what? I thought about doing Josh just because the first throw was an interception and then he kind of pulled it together after that. But once again, this is going to be a theme. I'm going with Dawson Knox because, you know, it's obvious he had the two touchdowns. Dawson Knox now has four touchdowns. He can't this... keep persevering, Bove. Sure he can. He can he's, keep persevering. He's we persevered. He persevered, but we also talked about Zach Ertz like every day in the summer. So Listen, Zach Ertz got traded to the Bills at least 37 times this offseason. Yes, we even were wondering if Zach Ertz had a Peloton and he changed his location. Like the whole nonsense that happened with J.J. Watt that didn't actually happen with J.J. Watt. Yes, Dawson Knox has per- persevered multiple times this season, but I will say... The fact that he already has more touchdowns this year than he's ever had in a full NFL season says a lot about how he is contributing and how they're leaning on him. And, you know, like after the game, Josh Allen and Sean McDermott are talking about how much he's improved in the run blocking and how he's more reliable and all these different things. And there's a ton of value in that, but he is finding the end zone. He has more receiving touchdowns than anybody else on this team. So I will give it to him because he is putting together a nice little season, and he's a sneaky little fantasy pickup if he's still available in your league. I'm going to go with Money Mitch Trubisky. Love it. Perseverance. Love it. Uh, yeah, he, uh, he he got himself a nice little touchdown, four-yard run, uh, threw a couple of passes in garbage time. But, hey, he persevered knowing that he was probably going to play today, <laughs> conducted a drive, handled his business, and got the Bills to a forty-point victory. So good on good on Mitchell Trubisky for really, really encompassing the spirit of the Blaine Gabbert Matthew Fairburn Award for Perseverance. Because after all, it is named after Fairburn, not included, named after <laughs> a first-round bust of a quarterback that just somehow hung around the league for a long time. He's still hanging around. Yeah, so Mitchell Trubisky gets gets the honors today. Fairburn had a Blaine Gabbert uh, mention on his uh, Twitter account tonight because of at the page at the Patriots Bucks game that he's covering, he said there was a group of Bucks players standing at the logo in the middle of the field, the Patriots logo, and he said one of them was Blaine Gabbert. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't oh, know. Yeah. If Bl- I don't know if Blaine was trying to make a statement before the big game tonight, but uh, yeah, I bet you. Yeah, no of one, no one, Blaine. No one that a real American hero. He uh, he definitely did. Such a Blaine uh, thing to do. Yeah, real, real Blaine. Um, <laughs> okay, that's going to do it for this episode. Uh, the Bills handling their business. They're 3-1, and one, a much bigger game on the horizon that we're going to get into a lot over the upcoming week. And for sure, I'll, we'll... Uh, uh, I will have that uh, preview podcast for you by the end of the week. And as the Bills are getting ready to travel to Kansas City to take on the Mammoth Chiefs, and we'll figure out exactly who this team is in the confines of this season and how the Bills stack up and if they've gotten any better from, from what they were in that AFC Championship game. A lot at stake here. So uh, I I usually ask this of Matthew Fairburn. So I'll ask it 
for you. Any fond words of farewell, Matthew Bobe, before we, we bid all our listeners adieu? No, I just enjoy the week because it's going to be a fun one. And there's going to be like, this is about as big of a regular season game as I can remember for the Bills. Not, you know, like playoff implication wise, but just from the like, now is the time. Like you need to figure out how good you are. So it's a big game and I want to see how they do. So it's going to be a fun week and I know fans are very excited. So enjoy it. There will be no bigger gauge game than the one they play on Sunday night, which makes it... Pretty big one. Pretty yeah. big one. All right. So for Matt Beauvais, my name is Joe Biscaglia. If you haven't yet, head over to theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. Get yourself 50% off a yearly subscription to read all the stuff that uh, we have over at The Athletic. Again, that's theathletic.com slash thebuffalobeat. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening, and we will talk to you when we get closer to the Chiefs. See you then.